I think that's really the, the crux of solving the problem is identifying who your stakeholders are and how you can add value to one of those stakeholders without the need for the other. And then focusing on that until you can build enough mass of your network to actually provide the value that you envision for it. Welcome to the Redox Podcast. I'm your host, Nico Skivaski, co-founder and president of Redox, where we are on a mission to make healthcare data useful and in turn, enable the frictionless adoption of technology in healthcare. The Redox Podcast explores the intersection between healthcare and technology. How is tech making a difference? What are the barriers to adoption and how are they being overcome? We talk to some of our industry's brightest minds, up-and-coming technologists and health tech legends that have paved the way for what's to come. One thing is certain, healthcare will change dramatically over the coming years. My hope is that you'll leave these conversations with a bit more context, along with a jolt of optimism to continue working for a better healthcare. With that in mind, I welcome you to the Redox Podcast. We have a really great episode today that I am super excited about because we're talking about platform businesses in healthcare. We're going to take on this heady topic in two parts. Part one, this episode, lays the groundwork on multi-sided platforms, networks, and their business models. Part two, which is also out now so you can quarantine binge it, starts with how to tackle the chicken or egg problem with four unique examples in healthcare the concept of viral growth, and how to finance these platform plays raising venture capital. And then finally, we tackle the problem of what makes healthcare so different than launching these platform businesses. Redox, of course, is an example of a platform business model. We connect healthcare organizations and software vendors with reusable technology, thus creating a scalable network of data exchange. And we've also got three other really innovative companies using platform business models to solve major challenges in healthcare. So to help us facilitate this far-reaching conversation, I've asked my friend Seth Joseph to step in on the podcast today and help guide the conversation. He is the managing director of Summit Health, a boutique strategy consulting firm that helps companies successfully build and scale multi-sided platforms in healthcare. I first met Seth when he headed up corporate strategy for SureScripts, which now processes 19 billion clinical transactions annually. And it's one of the few nationally scaled multi-sided platform businesses in healthcare. First of all, Seth, thank you so much for joining us on the Redox podcast today. Thank you very much for having me here, Nico. It's a pleasure, and I'm really looking forward to the conversation. So you're going to be asking most of the questions throughout the episode, but I wanted to start off by having a bit of a conversation around platforms with you to give some context to the discussion that we'll have later. So in the past few decades, we've seen the rise of these new platform business models, companies like Facebook, Airbnb, eBay, Uber, Amazon, among many others. It's really become the dominant way for companies to add value to their customers and the many constituents who take part in them. What gave rise to these sorts of business models? Platform types of business models have actually been around for a really long time. If you consider the function of a platform to connect different types of constituents and allow them to transact with each other, a good example would be a retail mall that serves as a convening space for people and retailers. Retail mall operators have to attract retailers as tenants on one side, and they have to convince them that they have a good location, that they have a good strategy to bring in consumers. And likewise, on the consumer side, they need to bring in name brand retailers or a set of retailers that create a compelling reason for consumers to physically visit the mall. And likewise, there are other examples out there as well. Television broadcasters and newspapers, for instance, also have to consider the dynamics of catering to multiple different constituents, consumers and advertisers. 
What's different about retail malls versus the types of platform companies we see today is the level of technology, or more accurately, the ubiquitous adoption of technology by both people and organizations, and the ability of platforms to leverage technology to connect constituents with each other in much more accessible and real-time ways and at a scale that could never be done before due to geographic or other constraints. Nice. So what are the benefits that platforms bring? Multi-sided platforms can create just massive value in a few different ways. So first, they create efficiency by allowing users to directly interact with each other, which reduces the need for middlemen and gatekeepers. Second, they can facilitate rapid information and knowledge sharing, allowing any individual user to gain insight from and even access to and communicate with a network that is far broader than their own. Third, they can introduce transparency and reduce information asymmetry in complex buying processes by allowing for an easy way for sellers and buyers to search for and find each other, which can better match supply and demand in real time. Fourth, they can eliminate the many-to-many problem of each user or organization needing to build out tens or hundreds of connection points to the other organizations it interacts with by providing a single, scalable, reusable connection point that all organizations can use to interact with each other, which creates massive economic efficiency that I, as an aside, think a lot of Redox customers are quite familiar with. Fifth, They tend to attract more and more users, and so they can spread their costs among an ever greater number of users, creating further efficiencies. And then finally, by virtue of everything I just mentioned, reducing the role of middlemen, facilitating easier communication and access to more information, better matching supply and demand, reducing information asymmetry, and leveraging scalable and reusable technology – Multi-sided platforms can reduce barriers to entry and unlock further innovation. For those of you taking notes out there, Seth's six ways that platforms can create value, we will document those in the show notes so you can catch up on that afterwards. That was awesome. Thanks for going through that with us. So we first met back in the glory days of Health 2.0, 2016. And your your business card when when I met you said that you were doing corporate development for SureScripts, which sounded kind of scary as an early stage startup. But the SureScripts example is such an interesting one. It's it's one of the few fully scaled platforms in healthcare. How did it go from this idea of creating electronic prescription to becoming the ubiquitous network that we know it as today? SureScripts is definitely one of the examples of a successful scaled platform in healthcare. SureScripts connects doctors using certified EHRs with payers and with pharmacies. So in real time, doctors can look up their patient benefits while making prescribing decisions and identify which drugs are on formulary and whether there are lower cost generic alternatives available. Then with a click of a button, the doctor can send the prescription electronically to the pharmacy. This is a seemingly simple process, but it addresses real problems that used to plague the prescription writing process. Doctors wrote prescriptions without knowing whether they'd be covered by the payer. And we know that about a quarter of all paper prescriptions never even made it to the pharmacy, perhaps because patients were concerned about drug costs or simply because they were asymptomatic and forgot to fill the prescription. 
with Shorescripts and e-prescribing in place, we know that e-prescribing increases medication adherence, results in lower cost drugs, safer prescribing, and studies suggest that the overall healthcare system saved between $140 billion and $240 billion over 10 years. Obviously, it makes sense to have a, a single conduit to pass electronic prescriptions through, but how much of that was driven by regulations mandating healthcare organizations to do that? And, and is that what's necessary to actually create more platforms in healthcare? Do, do we need the regulatory bodies to do that? Or, or are there examples of other platforms that can be done without kind of that regulatory push? Shorescripts got a lot of things right up front. Shorescripts was founded in 2001 by both the pharmacy associations and the PBM industry. One of the things that's really challenging for any platform to solve for is the chicken and egg adoption problem of which side to go to first. And in Shorescripts case, it was the founders that had a vision of how e-prescribing could create value for their organizations, their patients and members, and also the healthcare system as a whole. And so they came together and really solved that chicken and egg problem by founding Shorescripts and getting all of their constituents on board. But you're absolutely right. Shorescripts and e-prescribing benefited greatly from regulatory policies. Importantly, however, those regulatory policies didn't start coming into effect until 2009, well after Shorescripts and its network of constituents had proved out the technical feasibility the business model, a governance process, an overall ecosystem that was mature and proved out the viability of a few specific e-prescribing transactions that really worked. Once the federal government recognized that the system was mature and that the transactions worked and created value, Congress did enact a set of incentives in 2008 for doctors to adopt and use e-prescribing, and those created tremendous tailwinds. And of course, that was subsequently followed by meaningful use, of which a, a core component was e-prescribing. So I don't know that I would say that regulatory tailwinds are necessary. In fact, I, I think they can cause market confusion if the transactions or the interactions between different users aren't fully mature or supported yet, but absolutely they can be a tailwind. Now, as you look across the industry, what were other examples of ways that platforms could drive efficiencies in the healthcare industry and, and why aren't there more of them? I think healthcare is ripe for platforms to add value. Healthcare involves coordinating care among a highly fragmented care delivery system. There's often tremendous levels of information asymmetry between doctors and patients and payers. There are often perverse and conflicting incentives among different constituents. And of course, there are technology systems in place that date the rest of our economy by a couple of decades. And so I think there are tremendous opportunities for platforms to create value in healthcare. And certainly what I'm really excited about is that we have four leaders of incredibly innovative companies in healthcare to talk with us about these topics today. So from OmniHealth, we have Mathesh Rao, co-founder and CEO. Mathesh is a board-certified emergency room physician and former chief safety officer across multiple health systems. OmniHealth is on a mission to revolutionize how health data is shared and valued, bringing healthcare organizations and life sciences companies onto a common, trusted platform to allow for compliant data exchange. We've also got Anuradi Mather from Sempre Health. She's co-founder and CEO. 
She's a health tech veteran and started Sempre Health to help address patient medication adherence and to resolve the underlying conflicting interests that have prevented a scalable approach. Sempre combines platform technology, world-leading behavioral science, and a novel way to align interests between the life sciences and health plan industries. And finally, we've got from Swift Medical, Carlo Perez, co-founder and CEO. Carlo is a visionary leader and an experienced entrepreneur with multi-sided platform experience already under his belt. Swift is the nation's leading digital wound management platform that brings world-class visioning technology and wound-specific clinical workflows to address chronic wounds, which is an often overlooked clinical need that unfortunately contributes to 18% of healthcare expenditures in the US. And of course, Nico, I'm really pleased that we've got you because I think Redox is creating an amazing platform business and solving for major problems in interoperability and innovation in healthcare. Well, thanks, Seth, for having me on your show. Happy to be here. <laughs> so, so what we're going to do now is basically flip it over to, to Seth and jump into an interview with these founders that, that he described and learn, learn about how they're each thinking about platforms in their businesses. There's a lot of material and discussion out there regarding network effects, different types of network effects, the power of network effects and from a value creation standpoint. But a lot of the discussion is really high level and also tends to be consumer focused. And so it's not clear how to think about network effects in healthcare contexts. Starting with Mathesh, how do you think about network effects in your business and how do they create value for your users? Omni serves as a safe harbor for data. We're a neutral, compliant, ethical, transparent Switzerland, if you will, between different parts of the life sciences industry. And so network effects are the very definition of our business model. We, we think about it from data suppliers and data users, per se. As data suppliers come on board, as we expand and scale on that side, not only does it increase the value of each individual data supplier's elements that they put onto Omni, but it also scales our capabilities to bring on additional groups, both from the reputation standpoint, but also the collaboration standpoint. So that to us is, is a big piece. On the, the other side of the equation, right, the entities that actually get data off of Omni and leverage it for uh, partnerships, et cetera, the network effect is quite big. One, we tend to scale within each organization that comes on board. So we work a lot with life sciences companies, pharma, med device. We'll start often with one part of the organization and then build out the network with a land and expand model that starts to bridge into other parts of the organization. And what we find is not only does each group within that company start to build off of our data capabilities, so we get a lot of cross-collaboration too, where our network starts to build into those companies. And so for us, it's a defining point that we spend a lot of time not only thinking about, but trying to plan for the future as it continues to push us to scale uh, as a network-based model. Awesome. And Nico, maybe the same question to you. How do network effects figure into the Redox business and how do they create value for users? We always envisioned our business as a two-sided network with healthcare organizations on one side, the people actually delivering care to patients, and software developers on the other side who are building applications that they're selling into these health systems to provide things like telehealth or uh, remote patient monitoring or analytics, or basically the whole spectrum of digital health. So uh, those are the two sides of our network. And the more software developers we get building applications using our platform, the more health systems will want to 
use us and vice versa. The more health systems that are utilizing Redox, the more developers uh, will want to be on our platform. And of course, our platform helps to exchange data between the health systems and their electronic health records and their kind of core source systems and these modern cloud-based digital health applications. The way that those two sides of the network exchange value tremendously increases the value of the overall network for both sides. Anarati, Carlo, anything to add? Yeah, I think very similar to Redox, Sempre is a two-sided marketplace as well. We're tackling drug affordability by matching essentially the supply of dollars from pharmaceutical companies to the demand for affordability and adherence solutions from health plans and patients. And so every drug we make available on the platform, the more interesting Sempre becomes to health plans who want a one-stop shop for their discounts. And similarly, every health plan we're adding, the more interesting we are to the next brand or the next pharmaceutical company who is looking for essentially demand or an audience for their medication. So we see that, of course, those are like cross-network effects that help us grow. We also see same-side network effects where a particular brand doesn't want to be the only one in its therapeutic class to not be on the platform. And similarly, payers who are competing in, in various markets are, are motivated to work with us as well. So Swift Medical, you know, we built the nation's leading platform for digital wound care management. We've got about 3,500 facilities that are using our software across the United States. We also have about 2,000 wound care experts on our system as well. We end up getting this really interesting effect whereby there's the patient that needs the clinician at the bedside. That clinician, they rely very strongly on that external wound care expert. Those external experts desire to help as much as they can. So we get this really strong attachment between those two sides uh, of the platform. One other uh, interesting aspect in particular as it relates to wound care is that that clinician that's inside of a skilled nursing facility, they also depend on a myriad number of DMEs and suppliers that are outside uh, of that building as well. And so we kind of have this three-sided effect where you've got a nurse relying on a DME, relying on a doctor, and the doctor relies on the, the DME shipping the product, but the DME relies on the doctor passing back a signature, of course, to fill out a script. So we see a lot of strength in that. And, and it's interesting that, of course, for us, the, the value really ends up resulting in better outcomes financially, of course, across the board, but then ultimately for that end user, which is most important, the patient. I'd like to shift gears a little bit and talk business models. So when we look at traditional SaaS businesses, they tend to identify a problem facing a single market, develop novel solutions for that market, and then sell into that market. In contrast, platforms by nature facilitate exchange between different markets. And most of the literature and my own experience suggests it can be folly to try and charge both or multiple market sides. How did you think about solving for this problem as you guys started out? And what have you learned? Nico, I'll throw this one to you first. Solving this problem took us about a year to figure out what our business model was. When we envisioned our product at the beginning, we thought, hey, this middle layer between health systems and developers would be really cool. Most two-sided marketplaces, you can identify who's the supply and who's the demand. And so looking at our space, we said, okay, the demand side is health systems who are purchasing digital health solutions. And of course, those digital health solutions are the supply side. And so most traditional kind of two-sided networks, you, you charge the demand side and then you subsidize the supply side. So that's kind of what we tried first, which means charge health systems and then offer services for free or potentially even pay 
software developers to utilize the platform to create those network effects. We realized pretty early that first off, selling the health systems is a very difficult task. It's a great way to kill your startup trying to go through a two-year sales cycle. And so we were diving into that with many health systems as they were kind of smiling and nodding at, at what we were telling them. And meanwhile, we had developers who were knocking on our door saying, hey, you know how to share data with health systems? You can help us do that. And eventually we figured out that we actually had to flip the model on its head. We realized that a lot of these developers had a more acute problem than the health systems did. If a digital health app can't integrate with the health systems EHR, the health systems simply move to the next available alternative. So it's not a very acute problem from their perspective. For a digital health solution, if they can't integrate and they're losing business because of it, that could be life or death for their business. And so we realized we could actually charge the supply side and not charge the demand side. So that's what we ended up doing. And I'm charging the actual developers for every health system that they're connecting to, and then essentially subsidizing the the cost of connecting up to the health systems across the, the entire network of developers. So that's where we ended up landing. Like I said, it took us about a year, our first year in business to try to nail that model. And once we figured it out and did it a couple of times, that was enough evidence for us to actually start putting the pedal to the metal and start scaling it. Anarati, let me put the same question to you. How did you think about your business model between payers and life sciences? The first question we really asked ourselves was, which side gains the most immediately when a person fills their prescription, right? And I think if you're familiar with the space, it's it's the pharmaceutical companies are very focused on adherence, of course, for a clinical benefit, but core revenue improvement as well. And so it made a lot of sense to charge our pharma partners a transaction fee. And at the moment, we don't charge our payer partners anything. And that's allowed us to really optimize for distribution and scale on the payer side. It's allowed us to remove a major barrier to contracting with payers who might be probably next longest sales cycle after health systems. And this then leads to really, I think, increased adoption and increase in fills and transactions as payers and patients sign up, which is the unit that we monetize on with the life sciences company. So optimizing for dollars on one side, adoption on the other has really kind of worked out for us. Mathesh, Carlo, anything to add in here about how Omni or Swift think about business models? I, you know, I will third that statement about selling into hospital systems. I once had a, a very wise mentor tell me to never, ever sell into hospital systems. And the challenge, though, is that that's part of our business model. We have hospital systems that are part of the Omni marketplace. And so how do we leverage that piece? How do we balance that piece out? We follow the same model that Anurathi and, and Nico said before. We don't charge our hospital partners. We know that the value can be derived from the buyer's the users of the data. And that side is what pays and fuels our marketplace. And I think that's what made the difference with an early stage company, because it's very true that early stage companies who are selling directly into hospital systems, hospital system CIOs have limited budgets. Finances are tight. If you have to still go in there, build integrations, do a lot of work, you're going to not only hit a long sales cycle of 12 to 18 months, if you're lucky, but then a huge backlog on when you'll actually get up and running. So the ability to move quickly, the ability to not charge, the ability to build a partnership that's going to drive value definitely can speed things up dramatically. And I think that's made a big difference for us too. So we've talked business models. We, we talked about network effects and how they can create value, but this doesn't happen on its own, at least in my experience, and, and things can go wrong. How important is it to really know your 
different sides and to narrow down your service to align their interests, set clear rules of the road for participation, and provide clear guidance around how they might interact or use the platform. Anuradi, I'm going to put this one to you because I, I think you're solving for a problem that nobody else has really figured out. And I'd love to hear how you talk about aligning interests on your platform. Incentive alignment and actually information symmetry are things we think about all the time. And in a lot of ways, we've been able to accomplish both of those pretty naturally. You know, health plans already have a thesis on most drugs. They know which drugs are high-performing, clinically effective. These are drugs that they put on formulary. Formularies are public. And it's very obvious to us and to pharmaceutical companies which drugs plans have conviction around and which ones they don't. And so when we go and sign up life sciences companies, we tell them you can add a branded drug that has a generic or a non-preferred drug or something that's not doing well in clinical trials to our platform. But unless a health plan actually selects it from our menu of options, you won't see any fills. You won't see patients on that medication through us. And that won't drive really the outcomes that you as a brand team or a manufacturer are looking for. So by having the health plan really play the role of selecting which drugs they want, we're able to, I think, drive out, I would say, lower performing meds from even sort of approaching us or, or joining the platform. And that naturally kind of keeps the really high performing, clinically effective drugs on the platform. Nathesh, when you started talking about network effects, you really emphasized the importance of security, trust, and privacy. Can you speak to how Omni thinks about aligning interests and managing governance on the platform? You know, governance, transparency, trust, it's the pillar on which we built this company. We didn't even go talk to a client as far as go to market or trying to bring anybody onto the platform for over a year while we worked very closely with some of the legal teams that put together most of the regulation around HIPAA, anti-kickback, Stark laws. I mean, we were very purposeful in building out this platform. As I used to put it, I wanted this to be a compliance officer's dream. I wanted to know that if we were going to walk in and start talking about building data partnerships, that the compliance officers would be the first people to sign off on this. And I know it's a big challenge. I led safety, quality, and compliance across multiple hospital systems for years. And that's always been a battle when it comes to healthcare data. So thinking through that piece was really critical for us. And you know, it goes back to something that I think we've talked about before, which is that with healthcare data, or even healthcare as a whole, you don't get a second chance. There's no fake it till you make it. There's no, oh, you know, we weren't compliant enough. Something was revealed, mea culpa, you know, give us a second chance. This industry is very tightly regulated. And so for a company to participate and to build a business that's viable in the long term, that has to be a very core pillar. So for us, you know, the compliance and governance piece is very critical. Our data supplier partners have full governance, full transparency, full control on our, on our platform. And that's something that we purposely built in. And then on the flip side of that, entities that want to be able to build the partnerships around data and get access to data have very, very tight limitations, restrictions on how, where, when, and why they can use the data, but also you know, are governed as being good actors by us. And that's part of our role. Sitting in the middle as the Switzerland between these entities, we have to also have a little bit of a policing function too. And that's something that we take very seriously as well. Carlo, Nico, additional thoughts on the importance of governance as it relates to platforms? From Redox's perspective, we have a kind of interesting take here because we are a two-sided network, but we don't necessarily facilitate the marketplace 
pieces that most two-sided networks do, which is actually matching up supply and demand. We depend on that to happen kind of in the open market as it does today with the typical ways that health systems find software that they use. So we're not trying to control quality from the perspective of making sure that the vendors that are connecting to Redox are actually efficacious at whatever their value proposition is for health systems. We're more so making sure that they can actually integrate in the ways that will be impactful based on their workflows. So we control quality around how they integrate and the way that they interact with APIs and with the data that we make available, and not so much on ensuring that every single vendor on our platform can actually do the things they say they can do, because we're not providing that marketplace style interaction. That was intentional early on because it seemed like a problem that it essentially adds a a layer of complexity that uh, we didn't want to get involved in at the beginning. I think nowadays we have more and more opportunities to do that. So we're certainly exploring it. Yeah, I'll add to that from the Swift medical side, while we are becoming really the connector between clinicians as well as the bedside across our, our sites throughout the US, really, when you think about our need to govern how those players interact together, what they should and should not be doing. We're actually it's really lucky. There's medical licensing bodies, there's regulatory bodies that are ensuring quality and that the use of the software is upheld in order to meet those quality standards. Our facilities have a very rigorous credentialing process. So while we facilitate that process and ensure that the credentialing is done in a way that is at the um, top level of what these organizations would expect per their requirements, ultimately, it's very different than other multi-sided platforms that we've run in the past where we're doing all of the quality checks on uh, particular vendors, we're doing criminal background checks, et cetera. That's kind of all handed to us. And we more or less facilitate the process uh, and allow the existing processes, which are quite strong, to ensure that players are, are interacting appropriately and legally on, on the platform. So we take a bit of a, a different stance on it, but it is due to the good work of all the other bodies that are around us, including platforms uh, like Redox and, and networks that help deliver and enforce it. We've just heard a few different models for how to think about governance, and obviously that's really critical for any platform developer in healthcare to consider. Hey everyone, Nico here again. So that was part one, stand up, take a stretch, grab some fresh air, then tune into part two, which is out now, to continue the conversation with solving that elusive chicken or egg problem. All of us founders share how we did it or are still trying to do it. Or if you've had enough, um, thanks for tuning in to part one of Platforms in Healthcare on the Redox podcast. Thanks.